0: Let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you love us so much, that you bless us um, despite us. You, disbless, you bless us with us, uh, but you, you bless us, Lord, as we ask you to open your heart and to pour forth uh, graces and, and mercies. And so we do that today, Lord. We ask that you bless us in every dimension of our life in every area that we face, that, Lord, we would come to know you in a more intimate and personal way, uh, know you, to actually uh, have that sense of of uh, an awareness that you are um, with us and loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for our Catholic faith. Thank you for the call to be disciples of of you, followers of you day to day. Help us to do that well. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name, Amen. In the Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, Carrie uh, just sort of stopped me, and we, we, you know, we have different conversations in the course of the day. And she, she, yesterday, this was, this is a Monday, so I, you're hearing this Tuesday morning. I'm recording this on a Monday. It was yesterday. It was Sunday. She was listening to um, a church service uh, that was like kind of intended to inspire her and to inspire her um, as she was uh, getting ready for Mass. And, um, and I love that. I love that about Carrie. that, you know, in, it's, it's, uh, it's like one of those basic rules of prayer that if you want to pray well during your prayer time, use the time that comes before that time to prepare for the prayer time. Did you catch that? If you know you're having a prayer time coming up, use the time. Set aside not only the prayer time, but set aside the time that's coming up before it to begin to ready yourself, dispose yourself, put yourself in the right frame of mind, have the right disposition, right? Like start shutting down the the sources of noise and busyness and frenetic activity, and and uh, and, and doing other things, right? Start calming down the the pace, the spirit, so that you're more. Um, you you you're you're more you're ready you're more receptive to enter into the act of worship at mass. So, Carrie happened to be listening to this church service, and uh, one of the things that struck her about it, uh, two things that struck her about it. The first was is that the the preaching, and and she was uh, she it was recommended to her, so she just thought she would check it out, and um, and this is this is a. Christian. It's not a Catholic. It's a Christian, like worship service that had some preaching, and then it had sort of q and A Q&A on stage with some of the key pastoral leaders in this uh, community. And what jumped out at her were two things. The first was that the like the principal reason for her to listen to it was really about that was about the worship. Um, but as the preaching was going on, she was really struck by the emphasis, which you know, you hear about um, on the person of Jesus Christ and the way in which this guy was delivering simple truths, but in a very, very personal way, a very personal way that uh, Jesus Christ was alive and Jesus Christ had approached him at a difficult time and in a difficult place. And that Jesus Christ broke in, broke in through the noise, through the darkness, through the confusion, that Jesus Christ showed himself to be the source of life, the source of light, and a source of strength to redeem, right, to unbind and set him free, to draw him out of that darkness, out of that confusion, out of that place of brokenness into a place of freedom into a place of joy, into a place of discovering that he is the Son of God. He is true God, who truly became man. And as one of us took upon himself all of the pain, sufferings, brokennesses, all of the betrayals, all of the the failures to honor our Creator upon himself, he identified himself with those things, and underwent all of the the consequences, all of the punishments, all of the impacts of that sin, ultimately, uh, death and separation from God in hell. And that Jesus undertook through this immense, infinite act of mercy to embrace all of humanity and its fallenness, and that meant him and his fallenness in his brokenness, in his places of pain, and say, I've come to set you free. I've undertaken these things on your behalf, in your place, and for your sake, and now I want to give you my condition, a share in my own divinity, that you too can be a son of the Father, a daughter of the Father, a child of God, sharing in divine life. You who are a creature who have come from nothing, I've invited you to become a child of God and to live with that new dignity live with that new clarity, live with that new purpose and meaning in a world that is marked by this paradoxical experience of both beauty and ugliness, of both glory and sin, of both order and chaos, of both signs of a benevolent creator who is almighty and is shepherding this world towards a good end. and demonic disruptions that occur in our thinking, in our speech, in our relationships, uh, in our homes, and in this world in sometimes horrific, tragic ways, that you can make sense of this. You can understand it because of Jesus and through his teaching, but you must surrender and abandon your entire life into his hands. You won't get it. You won't really understand the meaning of it all if you dabble, if you just give a little, if you give partially, if you give but allow for takebacks. No, you're called to be all in. You're called to give it all, to surrender all, to abandon all. And even as you begin to move with that prompting, with that gift, because it's a gift, it's a grace where the Lord draws close to you. And, and prompts you in that way that you realize there's resistance in you, rebellion in you. There's a no, I don't want to give up the central place in my own life. I don't want to give up the throne, if you will. I want to remain as, well, the person in charge, the person in control. I want to have a degree of independence. I want to have a degree of, I get to decide in my life. Rather than saying, really, 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 Lord, the life I live now is not my own. It's yours. I am yours. I truly give over everything to you because you are, for me, a savior, a way out of this stuckness. That is not only impacting me now, but if I can just cast an eye towards the future is going to lead me to death and separation from God. That is not a future that I want for myself or anyone I love. But I want to honor you who have drawn close to me, my creator, revealed yourself to me as a father, a father who has shown his love through the Son, and has granted me a share in new life through your spirit who now dwells within me. And now that becomes my passionate pursuit, to glorify you, Father, to allow you, Jesus, to be not only Savior, but Lord of my day-to-day, and to follow by saying yes in advance to any and all promptings of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, move. I give you permission. I yield to you. Whatever you want from me, I say yes. Whatever you permit to happen to me, I say yes. Just let me know what your will is. That. That's a message we need to hear. That is a message that's really the basic gospel message as it gets traced back to our individual lives. And what Carrie said to me was, she's like, Tom, how often do you really talk about that? How often do you talk about that like fundamental need, that foundational call, the individual, like, uh, like, bottom line is less about, do you do this Catholic thing? Do you accept this Catholic teaching? Are you following this Catholic rule? And when you trace it all back to the essential center, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about whether our lives are our own, and Jesus is a part of it. Like Jesus provides us a like a a guide and that we strive to imitate, teachings that we strive to believe, and um, and a church who we adhere to and we identify as members of. Or is there something more? Is there something that like uh, those things are not bad things, right? But is there something like that is at the center at the pope benedict calls the essential center it's that meeting with jesus that meeting with jesus because he first established it he came and knocked on the door of my life and showed himself to me in a way that was incontrovertible it was real I know it was real. More than I see the world outside of me as real, the encounter with Jesus was real. I knew that I was known. I saw that I was seen. I encountered the living presence of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. St. Thomas in the upper room, right? The, he missed the encounter on Easter Sunday, so a week later, I won't believe until I can put my hands, probe his side and probe his hands and Jesus revealed himself again and Saint Thomas falls to his knees my lord and my god blessed are you thomas because you've seen blessed are those who do not see but believe and we may not have the uh, like the uh, apparition of Jesus in his his appearance right before he ascended into heaven we may not have the Saint Paul breakthrough hearing the voice of the Lord. But each of us, each of us is willed by the Lord to have that encounter, that knowing moment of meeting that can be decisive, that will, if we allow it, be decisive for everything that follows. If what I've just shared with you is strange or foreign, if what I've shared with you is not something that you can pinpoint and locate in your life, if what I've shared with you sounds like not commonly heard in your own Catholic living of your life as a disciple, then this is an area where we can benefit from making that radical act of availability, that radical act of surrender and abandonment, and with our heart's cry, ask Jesus to make himself real to us in a way, at a level, with a newness that we've never known before. This is a prayer he will answer. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about prayers that you know will be answered. And these are the prayers that are uh, associated with a clear expression of the will of God. And it is the will of God that you come to know, and live out of communion with him. You were immersed in this gift in your baptism. Gifts and graces associated with this communion and the awareness of the encounter that is a living encounter with the living God flows from these graces given in every sacrament. They are a blessing that are a part of every prayer, every grace that is associated with prayer. Is a is a grace to initiate, deepen, or initiate deepen or deepen or restore communion with Him, for so that is what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. It's being a communion of persons, a union with our loving God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, I encourage you right now to make that simple act of renewal. I do it every day. Lord Jesus, please receive me again. Please welcome me again into your heart for I surrender my life to you. I abandon my life into your hands and in your heart. Please, Jesus, save me from my sin for I fall short every single day and the things that I think the imaginations that I have, the memories that I recall, the words that I speak, the deeds that I do, the attitudes with which I do them, the omissions, the things that I leave undone. Forgive me, O Lord. Save me and be my Lord. Amen. All right, I'm up against a break. When I come back, I'm going to build off of this. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. On the first part of the program, there I was just sharing with you the, um, in some ways, the let's call it the existential or personal side of the um, the call to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? Now, I mentioned to you this was this came from a conversation I had with Carrie yesterday, where she was just asking me. She's just like Tom, you like you're on the radio like all these days and how often do you, like, invite people that are listening, because you know they're Catholic, right, for the most part, Uh, how often do you invite them to, like, surrender their lives again to Jesus? Because that can sound so, you know, Protestant, non-Catholic, Christian, right, you hear that on um, Christian radio stations, you hear that when you're, um, like, watching um, other Christian services, and it's not as if somehow, oh, that's, Christian but not Catholic, right? They may emphasize that, may, they may make that a central focus in many of their sermons, um, but that doesn't mean that we as Catholics ought to avoid, we ought to avoid what is really an essentially Catholic reality, right? It's essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a reality that if you come into any contact with Jesus, you're gonna have to identify what's the relationship? Like, How do I stand vis-a-vis Jesus? and the titles of Jesus right lord christ lord savior these are these are ways these are these are aspects facets that are defining they are expressing how we stand in relationship to him and so to say that Jesus is savior means that we need to be saved it means that there's a brokenness in our life something's not working not just not working it's far worse, that there's far more at stake in this. And and I know this is true for your life because it's true for every human being's life that strives to follow Jesus. And that is, we're going to become aware as we strive to follow him that we do fall short. I love you, Jesus, but I know I don't love you well, as well as I ought. Lord, I will follow you completely, courageously, completely today. No, I will not. And it's the very striving that reveals how Poorly. How insufficiently is my actually following of Jesus. And and for me, one of the great sadnesses is that we can crowd out the person of Jesus, having a sense of awareness that He is with us, that He is accompanying us, and that He wants to work through us day to day to help others, to be His light, to be. Salt, light, and leaven in the world, right? To to introduce people to Jesus, and, and I'm like, how often do we talk about this? How often do we talk about the reality that you, my brothers and sisters, you, no matter what your life circumstance is, you are in a field of harvest. You are in the midst of relationships where you can be the hands and the feet, the face and the voice of Jesus Christ. Yes, you. So. I mentioned that I got my hair cut, I don't know, it was like a week and a half ago, and the woman that cut my hair had cut my hair previously, and I remembered some things about her, including that her daughter was um, going to go to um, uh, a Catholic school, a Catholic college. And I, I was like, oh, this is my chance. This is my chance to be a herald, to be a messenger. Okay, let me kind of give a really cool word, to be an angel right? An angel, a messenger from God. God has a message, but the recipient somehow is not getting it. Somehow the recipient's not getting the message. So it's like the Lord is saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And so, well, that's me and that's you. So do you ever think that when you go out and about in the world, that in fact, the Lord has people whom he longs to communicate with, but who are held back from realizing that he's speaking, realizing that the living God longs to communicate with them, and and really to communicate them at a point of deep spiritual need or deep personal need. And so in this particular instance, this woman lives right near St. Joseph's in Otis Orchard, but wasn't going to Mass, even though she grew up Catholic. And I'm like, well, why don't you go to Mass? Why don't you go to Mass? Why aren't you practicing your Catholic faith? And the answer was, I got out of the habit. And it wasn't just this past year, sadly, right? You could just say, well, you can understand kind of maybe reluctance coming out of COVID. But it was years ago, we just literally stopped doing that on our Sunday mornings. We just were literally doing other stuff. And and so it was easier. It was more comfortable. It just, the effort was too much to kind of get over the hump to be able to say, this is something that I'm going to do. And so I just encouraged her. I'm like, you can do this. And so uh, I just, I said, I'm going to look it up. I looked it up for her. I said, here's what time mass is. So I can only go on Saturday, I work on Sunday. Great. Okay. So let's go on Saturday. Here's the time of the Saturday evening mass. And so you're going to go, right? Excellent. Next time I come in, I'm going to ask you. So I was supporting her. I was encouraging her and I was helping her be accountable. So she understood why she was going to do it. Uh, I gave her some motivations. I said, your daughter's going to be going to Mass uh, as, uh, or at least some prayer and some Catholic stuff as part of her attending uh, this Catholic school. And so I was like, so there's a great reason right there. Uh, I said, if you need to, throw me under the bus. I just said, well, I made this commitment to this guy, got, got his hair, and so we're going to go. And um, And you know what? Here's the thing she was genuinely happy genuinely happy at the thought that she was going to go to mass she had a bit of energy about it and in fact she actually said oh it's my mother speaking through you my mother would be is so happy right now she she must really have like sent you here to me like how cool is that right knowing that her mother was, I, I, obviously, I'm guessing here, right? Obviously, I'm guessing or I'm obvious, right? That she grew up in a Catholic home where the mom was like, you're going to Mass, and then her mom has died. And so now from heaven, her mom is like prompting, tapping her on the shoulder saying, get get my grandchildren to Mass, and you, oh, by the way, daughter of mine, get to Mass. And again, hopefully, what, Mass will be a place of encounter, It will be a place of invitation. It will be a place where they will be addressed with the reality that coming here, we are worshiping God. Heaven touches earth. We are in the presence of angels and saints. We've been permitted access to the throne of God and there to thank him in a fitting way because it's Jesus Christ who's present at mass, who's at work in the priest, in the assembly, the community that's gathered, speaking as word and present most profoundly as Eucharist. He is in our midst, present here and active as the great high priest to offer worship to the Father so that you now can worship God in a way that's fitting, to praise and thank the Father as is now fitting. But it's a beckoning call for you just coming to Mass to give your life to me, to be all in, that bread and wine that come up to the altar. That's your life. That's your gift. That's yourself. That's all that you are and all that you have. That's your everything this is what coming to Mass beckons forth from you. Now, I wish I had heard that at Mass. I wish that I hear that at Mass. Sadly, that's a message that's inherent, right? It's, it's grounded in the theology of the Mass itself, but it's too, I don't know, rarely understood. I i, I know this just because of... Um, you know, I wrote a book on the Mass. <laughs> and I've been giving this message for over 20 years. And it's a message that sadly so many people who grew up Catholic will literally say to me, I've been a Catholic 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and I've never heard this. Now, the words have been said, but they never like they never broke through. It was never like a living word where it broke through. And so it was personal for them. And they were like, yes. Yes, this, this, is, this is for me, an invitation by Jesus himself, who's come close to me to say, give me your all and trust everything to me. Your burdens and your fears, those places in your life where you're overwhelmed, those situations where you are desperate and you have no power and you've got no choice. Well, you have a choice, but the choice is to rely on me. Make room. Allow me to take over. Abandon it into my hands and say to me, Jesus, take care of everything. Jesus, I surrender to you. Take care of everything. That's part of the Mass. right? That's really at the essential center of the Mass when it comes to your action. Your act even of praising and thanking God. Your act of asking good things from God, your act of interceding for others, these all come down to an act of self-giving. An act of self-giving. I'm not making this stuff up. You, if you have an older missile, this isn't just like the new Mass. In fact, it was incredible when I first got the 1962 missile and was— reading this section in the front called Your Mass and Your Life. I was like, oh, my goodness. I swear these guys plagiarized my book, (laughs) except there was one problem. It was written two years before I was born, (laughs) probably older than that, to be honest. And then reading just in the margins of following the, uh, the, the liturgy, the rite of the Mass, and just reading the comments, I was like, my goodness, that theology that I was taught, that I put into my own language, as in the book, uh, The Mass, Four Encounters with Jesus That Will Change Your Life. I was like, wow, man, I I got got the essence of it right. Well, because I wasn't making it up, but I was trying to make it alive for you, dear, sweet brothers and sisters in the Catholic faith who go to Mass, but just saw it as boring, saw it as uneventful, saw it as casual, saw it as Somehow, that just the fulfillment of a duty that somehow we were missing—missing missing the Jesus essence, the Jesus-centered, the Jesus Christ encountering dimension of the Mass. What a tragedy! What an omission! And and that's what I was about. So, so this reality of giving your life to Jesus—it's like, man, I I. I don't talk about it enough on Sound Insight. Carrie was right. She's like, you know, y- you need to, you should think about letting like, your wonderful Catholic listeners know that this is how we live our lives as disciples, right? I'm trying to think of how many times a day, like I'm just saying, Jesus, please take over. Jesus, please be with me right now. Jesus, come in. Jesus, come close. Jesus, bless. Jesus, make alive, make new. Like all of those things, right? All of those things. And I'm just so grateful to God for the gift of the inbreaking encounter that He initiated in my regard when my faith was challenged as a close to 19-year-old, 18-and-a-half-year-old, after my freshman year of college, and it happened in, the blessed, in front of the Blessed Sacrament, in, the real, in front of the real presence of Jesus, in the presence of the glorified and yet incredibly humble Eucharistic presence of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe and the Lord of all that it was in that presence that he broke into my awareness. And that's something that I want for, for my kids. It's something that I want for you guys. And so I do invite you to do that, to just, if you have access to it, you know, in a church that you can easily get to, go into a church, go in front of the blessed sacrament, go in front of a tabernacle and say, Jesus, please, I beg you, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, I beg you, show yourself to me. Jesus, you're really there, but I so need, I'm so I so need and and look for and am desperate for an encounter with you. That I will know that you're alive, that you're here, and that you care about me, and that you know what I'm going through, and that you're not on the sidelines, you don't have your back turned, it's, it's, you're not too busy with other things, but that you drew me here. I know that I came here, but my coming here is actually more of you drawing me here, and, and Lord, I just say, please, crack open my life so that I can come to know and be aware of your holy presence. Please do that, Lord. I'm desperate for you. I've got nowhere else to go. I'm here. You have to help me. Help me in my marriage. Help me in my family. Help me with my kids. Help me with my job. Help me with my finances. Help me with my physical health and well-being. Help me, Lord, to know how to shepherd my family forward. Please give me the grace to fulfill my call as as a leader, provider, and protector of my family. I am at a loss. God, or just help me with today. Lord, I'm impatient, and unkind, and I yelled at my kids. Or Lord, just I feel empty. I feel empty somehow. I'm trying to do this on my own strength, and I look to you as a last resort, rather than as the first source of my life. So please, Lord, help me to lean on you, look to you, rely on you, receive your strength, receive your peace and your joy in the midst of all these things, and to give me the grace of surrendering those things that I'm trying to control. Amen. All right, I'm up against another break. When we come back, more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm kind of digging a little bit deeper into this whole reality of being, uh, getting back to like the the essential center, like that whole act of surrendering your life to Jesus. And something just kind of popped into my mind. I want to call it a prompting, that prompting that, actually it was connected to an insight that came from Father Spitzer's book. We didn't get a chance to, to talk about it yesterday. There were so many things in that one chapter that we didn't even fully cover in his book, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. And it was that many people are held back from really accepting the um, the, the, the closeness and the richness of our life of faith as Catholics, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, because the devil— prompts in our minds all of our sins, all of the ways that we are unworthy, not just unworthy, that we've betrayed the Lord, that we have failed God, that we have sinned. And in doing that, the devil knows well what Insight, St. John Paul II brought up very simply in one of his early philosophical essays, Uh, It was an essay on moral theology and conscience, and it was when we do evil in a certain sense, in a certain way, that evil impacts back on ourselves. He calls it the intransitive effects of our actions— We don't just have bad effects in the world, but we have bad effects on the self, and when we do sin, we're doing something that is hateful, and so we become hateful to ourselves. There's a way in which that evil that we do in the world also touches our lives, so that there's a way in which we sense evil within ourselves, and that is hateful, and that is a point of shame. I'm ashamed of myself for I am guilty. He goes into this further uh, in his book on love and responsibility. I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting a little bit of field here. But that impacts us. So here I am talking about the love of the Lord waiting to receive us, Jesus waiting to reveal himself to us, waiting to lavish his love, his consolation, and his presence and his peace. And you might be saying to yourself, ha, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the dark things that I've thought, said, done, and avoided. I have done evil, and I'm in a dark place. And the the reality is, yes, you're in a dark place. In fact, you're in spiritual bondage. But this is precisely why Jesus is first experienced as Savior, is that he can only save those who, who are aware that they need to be saved. He can only save those who are aware that they are in a broken, dark place, feeling lost, feeling out of control, confused. God, why do I do this? I hate that I do this, and I hate myself for it. Right? If that's you, if that's your circumstance, bring that the Lord. I know that's hard. Bring that to Jesus. Now, the amazing thing is that we as Catholics uh, have—we're part of a church where we don't have to wonder whether Jesus Christ as Lord has established a church that expresses his will to reconcile us to himself, to free us from our sins, to bring us a spiritual resurrection, to bring a a spiritual freedom that will sever our, our bondage and our contact with sin, but that he can wash it clean, he can break those bondages, and he can set us... We don't have to wonder, because he established these seven places... Of encounter with him where he promises to meet us not just to meet us but to communicate to us his divine life yes and you know what those are those are the seven sacraments and one of those sacraments one of those places where he promises to meet us and to meet us with the will to communicate his own divine life to us is a place that is only accessible by those who have betrayed him. Did you get that? That Jesus promises to meet us at a place that is only accessible by those who have failed him, who fall short, who have settled for less, who have done shameful, hateful things and feel ashamed and hate themselves. It's called confession. It's called Confession. It's called the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. And it's there that he provides a place of meeting, of encounter with himself through his ordained ministers whom he has deployed into history so that you would have a tangible, personal, dialogical encounter with him through his ordained sons. And through those ordained sons, you can hear the words, I forgive you, The divine physician is healing all that gets revealed. The divine physician heals all that is revealed. Well, that is revealed with a true sorrow, a compunction, a contrition for the things that we've done. And so what a beautiful reality that if today you hear my voice and I'm saying to you, You feel ashamed, and so you feel like, how can I approach Jesus and say, I give you my life and I'll be willing to follow your spirit when I just don't and I haven't, or I haven't completely, and I'm feeling the messed up quality of my life right now, then repent. Repent. Ask for the grace of repentance. The Catechism calls it the first petition. The first petition is forgive me my sins. Spiritual writers say the first act when you pray, get on your knees, and ask the Lord for forgiveness for sins that you are aware of and sins that you're not aware of because it helps clear away the blockage. It helps free the atmosphere. It helps create this sense of openness to God. It's the beginning of, of the Mass. What's the first thing after the uh, just the, the beginning, right, And welcoming is a confession of sins. Remove those blockages. Get rid of those obstacles. Cry out. In the midst of the presence of the Lord, the recognition, His glory, that we will praise His glory, we confess our own unworthiness, our failure to live up and always to express that glory in our lives. And so, if that's you, first of all, just repent where you're at. I do it every day. And, I just, I, and I'm not just saying these things, right? This just becomes part and parcel of your day just becomes part and parcel of living your life and the awareness that you're in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God who loves you. The presence of God who wants to be intimately a part of the details, caring for you, protecting you, providing for you, leading you. This is life and this is life, this is the life of faith. This is the life that we're called to live, that that intimate awareness the Lord's shepherding care. God is not just a God who sets up rules and then is tracking whether or not you fulfill the duties. It gets to the heart. It gets to the center. It gets to the core. And so if we need to confess, and and we do, just repent and ask for that grace. Just keep doing it ten times, seven times a day. It says in the Proverbs, uh, seven times a day, does a just man fall. Seven times a day, pick yourself back up because we'll often fall out of weakness. And yeah, sometimes mixed in with that weakness is willfulness. And sometimes, yeah, that willfulness falls all the way into rebellion and the, the resistance to really surrendering our lives to God. And that's where we really need to cry out to the Lord to ask him to come in and to establish his lordship because I'm still a rebel, right? You hear me talk about this quite a bit because people just don't hear this message. just not teaching that is regularly heard. I I don't know how often I've read it or heard it. The answer is not sufficiently. I, I don't know why. It's just kind of a weird thing to me. It's just really an odd thing to me that anyone who takes seriously, makes a serious effort, and, and is devoted and diligent and determined to give my entire life to God. Like, how do you not bump up against that part of you that resists it? I, I think I just must be at a really, like, beginner's point in my journey. Because I just bump up against those parts of me that are like, I am in rebellion. Ha! And I'm like, God, you got to deal with these parts of me because literally— like I can't talk that part of me off the ledge right that part of me is uh is walled up behind some pretty strong memories wounds uh, attachments to sin it's the world the flesh and the devil that are like the weapons used against me in my attempts to say Lord please I am all yours and I long to be entirely yours but I'm not doing a very good job at it. And so that's where the Lord says, I got this. I got you. My conquering power will prevail. Just keep walking. And I'll tell you how the Lord tends to prevail in this regard in just a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Okay, Kerry, I have done it. I'm doing it. This is my program where I'm just laying out Uh, The first of those two things that you had said to me yesterday, Sunday, as you were getting ready to go to Mass, you had those two reflections. The first one was, how come you don't, like, invite people more regularly to give their lives to Jesus, really to, like, consciously, intentionally make an act of radical entrustment and abandonment of their lives to God? And an act of completely surrendering all of their plans, all of their wealth, all of their time, all of their possessions, including their reputations, all that they are and have, their families, everything, to place it into God's hands and to say, Lord, do with me what you will. It was the act of like Peter, James, and John at the great catch of fish that was overwhelming. They abandoned their nets and their families and their father, and they followed Jesus. And the difference between them and us is not the act of abandoning, and it's not the act of following, but it's the act that they literally, in abandoning the nets and their father, literally followed Jesus and walked away. I think that, I don't know if it's harder, but it's different. The difference is that we abandon all things into the hands of God, and then we end up keeping most of it. <laughs> so my abandoning of all of my like, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? my time, my treasure, and my talents. right? Lord, it's all yours. And the Lord says, great, it's all mine. Now you keep most of it. But here's what I want you to do with your time here's what I want to do with your treasure. Here's what I want you to do with your talents. That is the trickier task when you're living in the world, right? When you're living in the world, it means you get up and you go to work uh, or you get up and you're caring for your family. And so you don't have the direct and explicit ministry stuff that you're doing with your time the way that a priest and religious do, right? Their lives are so utterly... um, manifesting this concept of a religious adherence to Jesus Christ and the following him in the concrete circumstances of day-to-day activities. That's different than it is for me, right? So I do this coaching and consulting work. Yeah, occasionally there'll be mentions of faith or blessing or God. Sometimes it's integral to the coaching relationship or the consulting work, um, but most often it's not. But I still strive to be salt, light, and leaven in that environment by how I speak, how I'm present, what I do, the insights I share. So for sure, yeah. And that's even still like that's a degree of nearness to the reality of being a witness to Jesus. It's that much harder when you're doing a job that has like little to no connection to the life of faith and its expressiveness. So I'm not saying we're a glowing Jesus head or really big crucifix. I am also, so I'm saying, follow the rules of your uh, environment, but where there is space to do it, give testimony with a picture, with how you dress, with uh, what you you have in, in the environment that you have control over or permission to display things in as well as the manner in which you work, right? So that's, these are now the traditional things that, that we get taught, that we manifest our own discipleship with Jesus Christ by working diligently, putting a good day's work, right? Uh, being good stewards of our time. Um, and yet there are going to be times you have opportunities to talk, right? <laughs> of course, most of you. Uh, And so when you're talking to people, what do you talk about? What do you mention? When they say, what did you do this weekend? When you mention what's important to you as they get to know you, where does Jesus come in? Where does your practicing faith in Jesus Christ, and as a Catholic, where does that show up? Do you ever, are you open to share it if asked? Do you ever bring it up? Do you ever bring it up? If it's something that gets, uh, like, uh, prompted, like, do you ever say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith today. Or even more boldly, Lord, I'm going to share my faith today unless you stop me. Lord, I'm going to share my faith today with somebody at lunch unless you prevent me from doing it. I presume you have somebody there for me to talk to and I'm going to be on the lookout for that opportunity, but I will say something unless you restrain me. How about that as a way of looking at the work of being a herald? In someone's life. You might say, well, what does that look like? Anybody says, I'm in trouble. I need something. I'm struggling with something. That's your open door. It's your open door to say, you know, when I'm, I haven't faced your situation, but when there have been things like that happening to me, I got to tell you, I found so much strength in my relationship with God. I just found that Jesus gave me strength. And you know what? I, I, I don't know where you're at in all of that, but do you have a sense of connection with God? Do you ever draw on, on like, a relationship with God? Do you—my do you, goodness, it opens the door to so many amazing conversations, right? So I, I, I share that with you to say that when Jesus becomes our everything, then everything becomes an opportunity to present Jesus. Sometimes more directly and explicitly, other times more indirectly by just being a certain person who's present. And I don't want that to be a cop out though, because we hear that and all of a sudden it's like, oof, okay, thanks be to God. I'll just be an example. I'll just say, Jesus, show and shine forth by the radiance of your presence in me, right? (laughs) No, we need bold witnesses. We need more bold witnesses. And sadly, the first place we need more bold witnesses is in the church itself to other members of the church herself. Right? If you just take a look and see what's happening in the church, it's super sad. It's tragic. Like when I just think about it, when I was like 15, 15 years old, I should look up the schedule. I should prove it. Um, But I grew up in a town that had probably 25,000 people at the time, not a lot of people, and he had two Catholic churches. And just in my Catholic church, one of the two Catholic churches, and we were the smaller of the two Catholic churches in my town of 25,000 people, we had not one Saturday Mass, not two Saturday Masses, we had three Saturday Masses at four, five, fifteen, and seven. These were the anticipated Sunday Masses on Saturday evening. And then we had Masses Sunday at 7.30, 8.30, 9.45, 11, and 12.15. Did you hear that? We had five Sunday morning Masses, three Saturday Masses, in a town of 25,000 people, and they had two Catholic churches. That's unbelievable. And if you went to the 9.45, the 11, or the 12.15, it was standing room only. Standing room only. If you go back now, okay, so granted that's about 50 years later, 40, 40 years later. Yeah, 40 years later. Uh, and But you could track it like if it was 10, 20, 30 years later, right? Um, you'd see what? An emptying out, a diminishment. And now they're down to one Mass on a Saturday and one or two Masses on a Sunday because they recently just combined the two parishes into one. And now they have one priest for the two parishes. When I grew up, we had three or four priests in my one parish. Three or four priests in my parish. And then it went down to two. And then it went down to one. And now it's one shared between the two parishes. And I don't even know if there was both a Saturday evening and a Sunday morning mass there. Maybe. But when I have gone back to that parish... It's like echo chamber, the tiny number of people that are there. And here's the crazy part. Like I had this awakening of faith when I was 18 and a half and I I would start going to daily mass. The people that are there at that mass that I go back to, if I go back to Boston when I'm there now, it's like a, a, a significant percentage are those people still. And they're a lot older than me. Are you getting this? This is not, like, this is not a new thing, right? But if we're not paying serious attention, like really examining what is happening, how can this be? How can this be? I think some of the answer is that there are more persuasive, clever and globally present heralds of an anti-gospel that are undermining faith in Jesus Christ and faith as Catholics, that we have not had fervent, convicting proclamations to Catholics saying to them, Jesus Christ is your everything. For you, life is Christ death is gain. Life means Christ. Allow him to come and be the center of who you are. Surrender to him. He's knocking on the door of your life. Your life won't make sense until he is at the center. And when he is at the center, everything else makes sense, including this mass. You will be bored until you encounter Jesus Christ. And then you will be stunned and astonished at what Jesus opens you to and how he comes to you to transform your life into him so that you can be his witness in the world. That kind of preaching, that kind of gospel, that would would reawaken the church today. All right, God bless you. Join me tomorrow.